Lord willing, we're going to get through the last section of Philippians today. So we've went through the book verse by verse, and hopefully you look blessed out there. So hopefully we've learned how to have joy. Anybody got joy this morning? Amen. Regardless of what's going on in our lives or regardless of the giants we face or the burdens we carry, we can have the joy of the Lord in every verse of every chapter in Philippians, Paul proved that to us. We're in Philippians chapter 4. I'm going to read verses 15 through 21, and then we're going to hop right in. Father, we thank you this morning for the word. We thank you for this book. We thank you for the principles that you've driven deep into our hearts, some that we're not even aware have taken root there that are changing us from the inside out. Father, we thank you that we're learning that joy is not based on what's happening or that everything's going our way, but it's a gift from you. It's the joy of the Lord, and so we possess it, and we live in it, Lord, and we want it to manifest itself in our life, Lord God. No matter what we're facing right now, we can have the joy of the Lord. Paul has proven that to us as we finish up today. Lord, seal it in us. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Philippians 4, starting in 15 to the end of the book. You yourselves also know, Philippians, that at the first preaching of the gospel after I left Macedonia, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving but you alone. For even in Thessalonica you sent a gift more than once for my needs. Not that I seek the gift itself, but I seek for the profit which increases to your account. But I have received everything in full and have an abundance. I am amply supplied, having received from Epaphroditus that which you have sent, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. Verse 19. And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. Now to our God and Father be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Oh, we were just singing that this morning. Greet every saint in Christ Jesus. The brethren who are with me greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of Caesar's house. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. So Paul is finishing up here. He's tying the whole book together. He brings it down to a point in verse 20, and then he finishes with, you know, his kind of... his kind of ending, tying everything up, but there's some powerful principles in here. Remember, no part of the Word of God is just there to fill up pages. Uh, Paul says some incredible things here. Verses 15 and 16 lay down some really solid principles on giving here. The Philippian church had been giving aid and comfort to Paul in the form of monetary offerings, personnel, prayers. They had been supporting him, making his suffering a little bit more tolerable. How many know when you're going through something and there's no one to help you, there's no one to listen to you, there's no one to cry with you, there's no one to just lift up your hands, it's even tougher. How many have gone through things and you were there for everybody else, but in your time of need, it seemed like everyone had scattered? 
Come on, amen. That doesn't feel good. Here's Paul. He's a, he's a, a pillar in the church, the greatest apostle that ever lived. He's going to pen two-thirds of the New Testament. He's going through hardship. He's under house arrest. He's, he's fighting for his life. He's given an account for the gospel before all of these stuffed shirts and leaders and, and political appointees, and, and, and he's giving the gospel to them, and his life is heading towards going to Rome where he knows in his heart he's going to be martyred for the faith. And while he's going through all this, uh, there are those on the outside of the church that got involved, rolled their sleeves up, and lifted up his hands, and some didn't. Listen to what he says here in verse 15. You know yourself, Philippians, that at the first preaching of the gospel, after I left Macedonia, listen to this, no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving but you alone. The Philippians were givers. And Paul's saying, you guys were the only ones that gave. You're the only ones, you know, who, who got in there and got involved and, and, and did more than just, you know, give well wishes. Remember we said, actions speak louder than words. And these guys had actions to go along with the words. Many people say, oh, well, I'll pray for you. Or, uh, you know, I'm thinking of you. Or, uh, I'm with you. But yet, they, they, they really just don't go beyond words. How many know that when the, when the battle is on, when the rubber hits the road, when the conflict is happening, we need more than words. We need actions. And these Philippians, they put actions there. They actually physically supported him in every way that he had needs, and they met those needs. But he says, you guys were the only ones. Wow. It's always the role of the local church. It's always the role of the body of Christ to support the ministries of the church. The church has a job to do, and it's more than just build nice buildings with comfortable seats and climate-controlled rooms. Someone say amen. Oh, I'm thankful for the cushion seat and the air condition. Amen. But you know what? It's more than that. And God wants to bless us, but he, he has to be able to get it through us before he can get it to us. Amen. Come on, he wants to pour out a blessing on us, but not that we heap it all to ourselves and just make ourselves more comfortable, that we actually finance the ministry of the gospel. Someone say amen. It's the church's job, the local church's job, to support ministry locally, nationally, and globally. Now, in first service, when I said that, it's the local church's job to support ministry, and I said, you know, locally, nationally. When I said globally, it just, everything went... Because I don't know about you, but local, national, globally, that sounds expensive to me, doesn't it? How many people, you know, some, some months if you can keep your oil tank full and, and your refrigerator full nowadays, you're like, oh, I'm doing good. And now you're talking, Pastor, you're talking about global financial support and outreach. It sounds overwhelming. Listen, but when each of us do our part, as God moves on us to do our part, God absolutely finances ministry through the local church, amen? And I think about our own little church here where we have, you know, Brother Charles out on the mission field preaching the gospel. And I just spoke to him this week, and he, he had some issues with his back. He had to come home again. And he's home in Pauling now. He can't be here right now because of the physical issue. But he said things were going so good in the Gambia. They were doing outreach. They were seeing people get saved. They are reaching out for growth. And the full gospel center in the Gambia is having services on Sunday here with people that you've helped reach for the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
You know, the little bit that we can do as we're faithful to God, God takes it and he multiplies it. Remember, God's in the multiplication business. He doesn't just take what we got and use what, no. When, when they gathered the five loaves and the fish and all that stuff, remember what God did? He multiplied it. He took one little boy's lunch and he fed thousands. And that's what he does with our giving when we're faithful. And it's the church's job. You know, all of us like evangelism. People like to see evangelists come and preach the gospel and watch people get saved. Amen? No? Will you watch Game of Thrones instead? I mean, does anybody like evangelism? You like to see crusades. You like to see... <laughs> Greg Laurie just had some crusades there. They got the Save America thing going. It's just happened in the United States. You're not going to see it on the news, but thousands of people coming forward to receive Jesus Christ in stadiums. That's good stuff. We're, how do we finance that? Oh, well, we fill out a grant form from the government. No. That's local church. You like evangelism. You know, we like, you like the songs we sing on Sunday. Amen. Well, where do those come from? Did they just drop from heaven? We need a new song, Lord. And it's like that tube at the bank where they shoot that thing through. Oh, we got a new one. No, people, psalmists write those and they spend their whole time and energy and God pours through. And we finance that when we support ministry, when we support the local church. Come on this morning. There's healing ministries. There's prophetic ministries. There's TV, radio, and outreach. How many enjoy listening to Christian radio during the day? Come on. All the good preaching, all the good music. That's supported by the local church. Now, our giving empowers the gospel to go beyond beyond our four walls. What's going on in the Gambia is proof that God can take a little and do great things with it. And Paul mentions that none of the churches helped him initially except Philippi. What an indictment against the church. You know, that's what I like about the Apostle Paul. He's eloquent. He's, he's, you know, he's emotionally connected. He's very uh, verbal. He affirms, but he also doesn't pull any punches. He didn't think, oh, well, I better not say this. I don't want to offend anybody. He was like, hey, the rest of you deadbeats didn't help me out at all. Just the Philippians, and I'm calling you out on it right now. You know, I think about what percentage of the churches globally support missions, support evangelism, support the fivefold ministries. And I wonder what Jesus would say to us. Our giving empowers the gospel to go forth, and it's the church's job to reach the lost and to bring the gospel to the lost. I don't know what percentage of the churches are being faithful to that, but I want our church to be faithful to that. I want us to support missions and evangelism and the ministry uh, that goes forth and saves people. Amen. Verse 17 is a great model of how leaders should view giving, especially when taking offerings and special gifts. Paul made sure to let the people know how he felt about these things. He's like, you guys supported me and it was great, but listen to verse 17. Not that I seek the gift itself, but I seek the profit for which increases to your account. Paul's like, I'm not trying to take offerings for myself here. I'm not trying to have a cush, comfortable, pleasant existence at your expense. He's saying, as you give to me, it blesses you. Did you see what it said there? It goes to your account. So the Philippians being the only church that stepped up and, and went beyond words and actually put action to it, who supported him, he's saying, that's going to your account. There's blessing connected to that. 
that. But Paul's saying, I'm not, you know, about taking a gift for myself. Not that I seek the gift itself, and that's important. I want to share a couple principles here about leadership and giving. Number one, leaders shouldn't take offerings for themselves. When you come up and give your offering here, that's not for Pastor Rick. I don't get to dip in there and take what I want and go shopping at Cabela's. No, that's not the way it works. Uh, and pe- people have said to me, Lou, in the past, did you see the big offering I gave? You know, we got a little inheritance. Did you see? No, I didn't see it. I don't track that stuff. I don't want to know. I don't know what you give, you give. That's between you and God. So if you're giving to impress men or staff or pastors, you're wasting your time. Giving is not for the minister. It's not, you know, it supports the ministry, but pastors shouldn't take offerings for themselves. Now, I've been around the block a long time. So has Pastor Mike. We've been saved through the 80s, through the charismatic, charismania, crazy people, pastors acting like they're kings and big shots, being driven around with $1,000 shoes and $2,000 shoes and pocket scarves and bleh. And I'm so glad that that's over because, you know what, it doesn't speak well. That turns off more people than it attracts to Jesus Christ, amen. It's not about... Man, I wish I could get some traction here this morning. Yeah. The ministry is not about the minister. We don't need Christian royalty. We don't need people enriching themselves at the expense of others. That is not the role of leadership. Paul says, look, I'm not looking for a gift here. I'm not taking a collection for myself. No, you're supporting me in doing kingdom things, and the blessing is credited to your account. Number two, good leaders teach giving through Scripture and through personal example. Look, I can't teach you about giving unless I learn to be a giver. And I learned to be a giver when... When I was 14 years old and got saved, I've been giving and tithing and sowing seed ever since, and I want to testify about the faithfulness of God. I have never lacked anything. We have never gone hungry. We have never not had a place to live. God has always been good to us. In fact, if you'd see my paycheck and see how God stretches it, it's like it's a miracle, amen? We shouldn't be able to have a house. We shouldn't be able, we shouldn't be able to have it. But God does miracles for those who serve him with the right heart, amen? So leaders have to give. They have to teach by example, and they have to teach what the Scripture says about giving. Because, you know, giving is an important part of the Christian lifestyle, amen? You know, there are many churches that brag about the fact that, well, we don't talk about giving. We just put a box back by the boiler somewhere. And, you know, if you want to give, you can go do it. And listen, if you want to do that, that's great. But the only reason the boxes fill up in churches like that is because those people sat in churches where pastors had the guts to teach them to give before they went to those places, and they're reaping the benefits of that. If you don't teach people to give, if you're too shy, if you're too much of a coward to do it, then maybe you should go sell shoes. But if we're going to teach the full counsel of God's word, we can't ignore giving. And you think, well, I understand why people don't do it because, well, we don't want people to think we're all about money. Look, if you're standing behind the pulpit and people can't figure out if you're all about money or not, then again, maybe you should go sell shoes because character speaks of itself, amen. We've got to teach giving in the body of Christ. There are too many people who are giving nothing, doing nothing, soaking up all the good stuff, and the gospel is not going forth. And listen, that all goes to our account. Now, look, I'm not taking an offering today. We're not going to pass the plate. All the giving's done. All right? 
but I'm teaching you what the Bible says. And it'll be a blessing to you if you apply these principles to your life because it's been a blessing to me, man. So we're going to teach about giving here, and we're not going to be shy about it because giving does three things. Number one, it teaches the believer to trust God as their source. If we never sow into the kingdom and never see the, uh, the, the reaping of what we've sown in the form of a harvest, then we don't understand that God is our supply and our source. Listen to what Matthew 16, 13 says. No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate one and love the other, or you will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Believers have to understand their source is not their job, it's not their boss, it's not their savings, their retirement, it's not their strength, it's not their skills, it's not their wit, it's not their good looks. Oh, some of us would be starving. But understand, our source is none of those things. It's God. God supplies all of our needs according to his riches and glory. And we can either serve God or money. So we've got to learn to prove God is our source. Number two, giving is the proof that a believer has conquered greed. Do you know all of us in the flesh are greedy? Oh, no, not me, Pastor. Yeah, all of us. Our flesh is greedy. It wants more. It wants bigger. It wants better. I've used this illustration before, but when you open the box of pizza, what slice do you want? The biggest one, right? We, we hope that the guy with the wheel forgot to cut half the pizza so we could take half the pizza. But your flesh just wants the biggest. It wants the lion's share. It wants the most. Now, the only way that we can prove that we've conquered greed is to give. Here, you take the big slice. Anybody ever said that? Anyone ever? I'll take this one over here that looks like a shoelace, but... It has half a pepperoni on it, and you stole most of my cheese, but you take the big one. <laughs> Giving is the proof that we've conquered greed. Listen to 1 Timothy 6.10. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. It doesn't say money is the root of evil. It says the love of money. A lot of people misquote this. Oh, Christians shouldn't have any money. They should take a vow of poverty. Nonsense. Religiosity foolishness, unbiblical. But if you love money, this is, Timothy says, this is what happened. The love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money, there it is, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves through with many griefs. So we use money, we use it for the kingdom, we use it to supply our needs, we use it to bless others, but we don't love it. We love God, not money, amen? You can't serve God and money. Number three, the third thing giving will do for a believer. Giving it shows that when we sow seeds, we reap a future harvest. We need to understand the dynamic of the seed principle in Scripture. Jesus taught about the seed and the sower, and there's a lot of things that come in seed form. But when you and I put money, finances into the kingdom of God, it does if we're sowing a seed. Now understand, when you sow a seed, you're going to reap a harvest. That's, the point. That's part of the point of sowing a seed. So listen to 2 Corinthians 9, 6. Remember this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. You don't need to study the Greek to understand the application of that scripture. You sow sparingly, you reap sparingly. You sow generously, you reap generously. Generous people are always blessed. People who give are always blessed. Selfish people, even if they have a lot, they are not blessed. 
If you look at who does most of the giving in uh, charitable giving in the West here, it's people, middle class people, poor people. They're the ones who are the givers. Well, you say, well, why don't they have heaps of money? Well, they're blessed in other ways. They're blessed with joy and peace and health and children and grandchildren. Come on. We, we've got to stop seeing blessing as just financial. Well, it's more, so much more than that. There's people who have more money that they could ever spend in a lifetime, and they go to get bed miserable. They're divorced from their spouses. Their children don't talk to them. Their health is a wreck. Blessing is more than financial. But if we sow sparingly, we'll reap sparingly. Well, I don't like, I don't like what I got. Maybe you should think about what you're sowing. Because if you sow generously, you'll reap generously. So the principle is there, and we can't be mad at anybody but ourselves if we're not getting what we want, because the principle says that we should adjust our giving. So uh, we shouldn't be impressed by the size of offerings. How many know that, you know, a lot of people get impressed by numbers? Numbers in the checkbook, numbers in the offering plate, numbers in the church. But we shouldn't be impressed by numbers. We shouldn't be impressed by the size of an offering, but by the amount of sacrifice that was in the offering. Listen to Jesus in Mark 12, 41 through, uh, 41 through 44. Listen to Jesus here. And he sat down opposite the treasury and began observing how the people were putting money into the treasury. Check Jesus out here. Of all the things he could be doing, he goes into the temple, he sits down and he's watching the money box. Check him out. He's just sitting there. He's looking like, oh, here comes a big shot giver. Look at what he, oh, I got a big check. Glory to me. Watch this. Jesus is checking it out. And you got to say, well, you know, I want to just say, here's, here's a, a warning here. Don't you do that. <laughs> Don't come stand up by the box and say, let me, let me see your check there. What do you got? To, let me see your W-2. Are you giving? What are you giving there? No, Jesus can do that, but we can't do that. Okay, but check, check him out here. He's just sitting by the, the, the money collection box there, and he's checking out what people give. And he began observing how the people were putting money in the treasury. Listen, and many rich people were putting in large sums. There it is. Jesus isn't impressed by their large sum. Verse 42, a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which amount to a cent. Look at that. She didn't even put in her two cents. She only had a cent. Calling his disciples to him, he said to them, truly, I say to you, this poor widow put in more than all the contributors to the treasury, for they all put in out of their surplus, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she owned and all she had to live on. Jesus is not impressed by the number. He's impressed by the sacrifice. When you and I are willing, this woman was willing to do without to bless God because she loved God. You know, and other people were in there with their big checks and their big givings. You know, I could just see them coming, you know, uh, with the, everything in coins so they could pour it in really slow. Shh, to get the glory for themselves. And Jesus said, this woman outgave all of them because she didn't give out of her surplus. You know, sometimes we can give and we don't even feel it at all. You ever just, you can write a check, you can give somebody money, you can fill up a gas tank, and you know, some of us don't feel that at all, but when we give out of our surplus, it's nice to do that, but the real blessing is when we give sacrificially. 
That's when it catches the attention of God. Now, let me say something about else about giving. It's not the size that matters. And also, you know, there are a lot of people who like to be fake givers. There's a lot of people who make themselves look generous, and really they're selfish. And all of us have come across people like that, amen, where, you know, they like to look like, they're, oh, they're so generous, and I, I'm going to do this for you, and I'm going to write you a check. And they'll do stuff when people are watching, but then in the long run, they don't really come through. They just want it to look good but not be good. Be careful of that. You say, well, why do you say that? Because there are two people in the New Testament, Ananias and Sapphira, and they were faking their giving before the apostles. Do you remember these two? Come on, Ananias and Sapphira, they sold a piece of property. They, they pretend that they were giving all of it to the church, but they held back a, a large portion of it. And the husband came in, and Peter said, is this all of it? Oh, yeah, it's all of it. And the Holy Spirit struck them down dead. Come on, anybody. That, that's like, you know, that'll sober you up real quick. I, I think that'll keep people away from the offering plate. I wouldn't come up. I'd just like throw it up there. So his wife comes in, and she doesn't know what happened. And is this all the money? And you and you, yeah, oh, yeah, that's all of it. Boom, she falls down dead. Thank God this was a one-time occurrence here in the church. But listen, people who fake generosity, who fake being givers, who try to look like they're generous but they're not, that doesn't work with God. God sees through all of that pretend religious nonsense, and he blesses us accordingly. So some principles on giving here. Paul said, you guys gave when no one else gave. I appreciate it. Now, in verse 18, while Paul is in prison, he's having a trial, he's in discomfort, and he's afflicted, uh, he says this about his situation in verse 18. I have received everything in full and have an abundance. I am amply supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you sent me, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. We know Paul's situation was tough, but his testimony here is that, guys, I've got everything I need. Now understand, that was not the product of, you know, really him having everything he could ever want. That was the product of him having a good attitude, of being content, of seeing what God supplied as everything he needed. And, and he has this good attitude, and this is what allows us to have joy. He uses phrases like, I have an abundance. I'm amply supplied. I'm good. I've got everything I need. You Philippians have been great to me, and God has been faithful to me, and I'm good. What a great attitude to have. Remember when we studied uh, a few chapters, up, a few verses up here, we talked about abundance and we talked about contentment. Contentment is a choice. Paul chose to be content with what God supplied for him. Church, this is the key to life. There's always going to be things that we could have that we don't have. And so if we always want to look at what we don't have, that other people have, or that we want, or that we could have, we're not going to be content. But if we learn to look at what God has provided and see that as everything we need, we're going to have contentment in any situation. Amen. This is not an easy lesson to learn because Paul said, I've learned to be content, you know, with abundance, with lack. I've learned to be content when I'm full and when I'm hungry. You know, I mean, th this is serious stuff. Hungry? None, most of us don't do hungry. Most of us have never missed a meal. 
And I'm thankful to God for that. But should there come a time where there's lack, where there's suffering, where, you know, uh, there's a meal missed or something, you know, would we still love God enough and still be content enough to serve him with all our hearts and still be sacrificial in the things of the kingdom? Oh, it's quiet now because this, I mean, this is where, you know, this is where the rubber hits the road. There'll always be things that we could have that we don't. But understand, if you don't have it right now, it's because you don't need it right now or God would have provided it for you. Say amen. Choose to be content. Choose to be content. Strive to do your best. Work hard. Be entrepreneurial. Do all these things. Do whatever God's put in your heart. But learn to be content with what you have because it's the key to maintaining your joy in life. Verse 18, the latter half of it, we get a mention of Epaphroditus. And he was sent by, Paul saying, you know, Epaphroditus came, you guys sent him to me, um, you know, and he brought your care package for me. Now, I want you to see this here. He says, you, you know, the package was what, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. We're going to unpack that in a minute, but let's just look at Epaphroditus for a second because there's some wisdom in here too. The backstory to this is, well, while Paul sees the Philippians as sending Epaphroditus to him to help him, the truth is that Paul sent Epaphroditus to them at his expense to strengthen them and protect them in his time of absence. Paul only had a few people with him who were faithful, who were there helping him, feeding him, supplying his needs, and one of them was Epaphroditus. And what does he do? He takes one of the few helpers he has, and he sends him to the Philippians to protect them and to keep them in his absence because he cares more about them than he does about himself. So and they, in turn, send the guy back. Now, I don't know, maybe Epaphroditus was obnoxious or he ate a lot, I don't know. But, you know... The truth is, I want you to see that he blessed them and they blessed him in return. And the principle is here is that givers are always blessed. Givers are always blessed because it's impossible to outgive God. If you sow sparingly, you'll reap sparingly. If you're generous, people will be generous with you and God will be generous with you. Are you catching this here? Givers are always blessed. Selfish people never have enough. I have not heard it this quiet in a long time. I'm going to take a drink. You know what to do. I like being a giver. I want to be more of a giver, amen? A lot of times we think of ourselves as generous, but sometimes, you know, we've hoarded so much stuff. And, and the scripture says, you know, if you see your brother in in lack and, you know, you have an abundance. You know, if you have two coats and they have no coat, what we're supposed to give, we're supposed to share, amen? Amen, we're supposed to meet the needs of others. Oh, I see all the greedy people just glaring at me. I'm coming over to your house today to get a coat. So Paul is sowing these principles here. The, the Philippians, you know, had, had sent Epaphroditus back to him. That's a blessing to him. He gave, they gave back. A lot of principles here. They're learning to be givers because Paul set a good example for them. We can't outgive God. Uh, if we have lack, God has abundance. And so we need to sow so that we can reap that return. Now, Paul gives a really vivid description of the care package they sent him. 
You know, I don't know all of what they sent him, but he says it's a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. That's, that's a pretty vivid description, isn't it? He's like, you know, what you gave me was just, it's like a fresh smell to me. Realize this guy's being carted around. He's with Roman soldiers. He's in prisons. He's in dungeons. He's in chains. Not good smells. He says, but your care package, woo, that was a, that was a whiff of fresh air to me. Uh, and and he, he goes on with his, you know, description here, acceptable, uh, you know, well-pleasing to God, an acceptable sacrifice. That, that's a beautiful description there. Now, when we give, as the Philippians gave, we have to give to please God. We should never give to please men. We should never give because we're coerced to give. This happens in churches. Oh, we got to raise an offering. We got to do this. We got to do that. There's a, we got to give, give, give. And it's a, you know, a 10-minute sermon and a 30-minute offering. Some of you have never experienced this stuff, and you're looking at me funny, but if you've been around long enough, you've seen these things. You should never give at a compulsion or coercion. You should give because the Holy Spirit tugs on your heart and tells you to give. So if you're saying, well, I've never been tugged on, you, you need to get a little more sensitive to the Holy Spirit because he will tug on us at times. And Paul says what you offered was a, was a great offering, but they gave, you know, not for Paul, not for his need, and he wants to make sure that they gave and their giving was pleasing to God. Now, our goal should be, that God would be able to say the exact same things about our giving that Paul said about the Philippians giving. When we offer things in the kingdom, it should be our goal that God would see it. What? You know, as a fragrant aroma, as an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to him. In the end, our offerings, our giving have to please God. You remember Cain and Abel? They both brought an offering. But one pleased God and one didn't. And, you know, Abel's offering pleased God because he gave his best. He gave the first fruits. He gave what was prescribed. Cain gave what he felt like giving. He gave God his leftovers. And God said, I'm sorry, buddy, but, you know, I'm not digging your offering here. And he got mad. And instead of repenting and getting right and offering God what he knew, he killed his brother instead because he was jealous of him. Wow. Our, givings, our giving has to please God. And if it's not pleasing to God, you might as well not give it. Keep it. Keep your wallet closed. Keep it in your pocket. Put it in your piggy bank. But don't give it for the wrong reasons. Don't give it for religious reasons. Don't give it out of compulsion. Give it because the Holy Spirit tugs and give it because you're wanting to please God. Verse 19, amen. All right. Paul points the Philippians towards God as their source. Now, this is what a good leader always does. And my God, look what he says, my God will supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. So Paul points the Philippians towards their source. Now, Paul was obviously, you know, excited about the fact that they gave and he was blessed by it, but he wanted to make sure that they knew that their source was God and not Paul. And this is very important. Uh, You know, Paul's not saying, oh, guys, thanks for what you gave me. I'll make it up to you. I'll take care of you. Hey, guys, I really owe you one. Do you notice he's not saying any of that? 
What he says to them is, you know, that God will supply, his God will supply all of your needs. Not Paul, not the church, not the government. No, my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory. Paul makes it really clear that he's not their source. And though they've been generous, he's not like, well, I owe you one, I'll make it up to you. You know, I'm a tent maker. If I get out of here, I'll build you a nice tent. You knew Paul was a tent maker. All right, then. So he's not saying any of that. He's saying God is your supply and God is your source. And that's very important. Uh, My God will supply all of your needs. And it's important we know God is our source. Now, if someone wants to bless us or speak the encouragement of God over us or lay hands on us and prophesy to us, they've got to be connected to God first before they have anything to offer us. Now, notice Paul says here, and my God will supply all your needs. He makes it personal. It's my God. Why? Because he has a personal relationship with God, and he's obviously connected to God. Only someone who's connected to God can speak the blessing of God over your life. I I hear people all the time who aren't believers, who don't know Jesus, who are mockers and reprobates, say things to others like, God bless you. You know, maybe you're you're maybe a talk show host. God bless you. Or maybe some crooked politician. God bless you. Or maybe you're at a rock concert. God bless you, Poughkeepsie. Good night. (laughs) And I got to be honest with you. There's something in me that gets a little irritated when people do that. And I'll tell you why. Because the blessing of God isn't something just anyone can throw around with authority without first being authentically connected to God. Who are you to speak God's blessing? You don't command God's blessing. You're not even one of his kids. God bless you. Keep it. Now, I understand it's a figure of speech to them. But we've got to go beyond that. We need to understand God's our source and we're connected to him and when we're connected with him we command the blessing of God that we could speak it over others we can be a blessing to others because we're connected to him and he's our source and that's what Paul is saying here my God who supplies my needs is going to supply your needs not me don't look at me I'm not your source your boss is not your source. Your savings are not your source. Your 501K, your, your 3 I don't know what K it is now. There's not many Ks left, but it's not your skill. It's not your talent. It's not the church. It's not Pastor Rick. God is your source. Make sure you're connected to him because I think there's going to be some turbulence up ahead. And God is going to prove to those who trust him that he can supply all their needs. Amen. So, you know, many people kind of get hung up about giving when they give that, you know, what if I give something and the people I give it to or the church I give it to or the charity I give it to misuses it and it gets wasted and then then there's no blessing. Let, let Let me just encourage you today. Some people get really hung up on that, but if the Holy Spirit tugs you to give, just give. And what happens with what you give after you give it is not your responsibility. God will bless you if you are obedient. Amen. Now, having said that, let me flip the coin over and give you the other side of it. Be wise and careful about where you do your giving. We should be suspicious in a healthy way when giving to charity or disaster relief or feeding the hungry or some late night televangelist. Do you know why the guy's on late at night? Because smart people went to sleep by then. 
And he's up there, blah, 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 giving your tax-free, non-refundable donations of love, and blah, I'll send you a religious knick-knack. Don't do that. Don't. Listen, charitable organizations, you know, you have to research them. You, you got Billy Graham's organization, Samaritan Purse, absolutely great. You can give there. You can trust that ministry. But there's other places where if you investigate into them, 75 cents on the dollar of what you give gets used for administrative stuff. You got people making quarter of a million dollar a year salaries for charitable give to the hungry and feed the children, and none of it's getting there. So use wisdom, have discernment. But if the Holy Spirit tugs you to give and you give, then your blessing is connected to your obedience. So don't worry, just be obedient, amen? Be wise, don't be foolish, but be obedient. Verse 20 here is kind of the parting shot. It's the last little theological gem that Paul gives us before he brings uh, down to a conclusion in verses 21 and 23. But listen to 20. He says, now to our God and Father be the glory. Say glory. glory. Say glory. glory. Be the glory forever and ever. Amen. So the last thing Paul wants us to know, the last thing he wants the Philippians to know here is that all the glory for everything that's being done here doesn't go to Paul, doesn't go to the Philippians, it goes to God. All the glory is God's. St. Francis de Sales said this, some men become proud because they ride on a fine horse with a feather in their hat or are dressed in a fine suit of clothes. Who doesn't see the folly in this? If there be any glory in such things, listen, the glory belongs to the horse, the bird, and the tailor. Right? Oh, look at me. Look at my feather. Look at my horse. Look at my... That's not you. People who try to take the glory of other things for themselves only prove in showing themselves to be shallow and foolish. There are some things where it pertains to glory that belong completely to God. Now, Christians do get to sh share in the glory of Jesus Christ, and we get to share in the glory of preaching the gospel, and there are rewards for us in heaven, but that's a different kind of glory. There are certain things that all the glory of it all the time belongs completely to God, and you and I shouldn't touch those. Why? Because the glory goes to God. It's the horse, the bird, and the tailor. Now, listen to Isaiah 42, 8, he says, I am the Lord, that is my name. I will not give my glory to another, nor my praise to idols. So what belongs to God, give to God. Don't touch it, don't go after it. Let God be glorified. I've been around Christians, I've been around preachers, I've been around people that you would think the things they were doing came from them. And I preached the messages, and people got saved, and I preached, and I raised the dead, and I healed the sick. That was you? That was you on the cross? You're Jesus Jr.? Well, I, well. Smacks of pride. It's embarrassing. It was embarrassing to stand there and listen to it. The glory belongs to God. Verse 21 and 23, Paul gives his closing acknowledgments, and he gives a blessing of grace. Now, the glory belongs to God, but check this out. The grace comes from Jesus Christ. Greet all the saints in Christ Jesus. The brethren who are there greet you. All the saints greet you, especially those of the house of Caesar. So the Roman Christians. See, God can save anybody, even Italians. He can save. He says the Roman Christians. 
greet you. Now, verse 23, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you in your spirit. So it's the grace of Jesus that he wants to leave as the final note here. And really, it's the grace of Jesus and the glory that goes to the Father for all his goodness that allows us to have joy, that allows us to have peace in any of life's circumstances. Paul's life did end in martyrdom. But he did not let that overshadow the great privilege it was in his mind to offer himself to Christ as an offering poured out for us, for the Philippians, for every church, and most of all, for Jesus Christ, whom he loved with all his heart. Let's bow our heads today. Father, I thank you for the book of Philippians. I thank you for the promise of joy for the believer. I pray for my brothers and sisters and for myself today that each of us would learn to give and to conquer greed and to not be lovers of money, that we would deal with our own, uh, our own selfishness and our own uh, ability to be self-absorbed, and we would learn to be givers, realizing that as we give, you bless us back. We can't outgive you. And so, Father, teach us to give with joy as Paul gave his life with joy. Teach us to have joy in every circumstance, no matter what's going on around us, to realize it's a choice. And we choose to be content with what you've given us because you supply all our needs according to your riches and glory. We pray it in Jesus' name and the church said, amen. Amen. Give him praise.